Welcome to Titans of Transition. I'm really pleased to have Suzanne Woods Fisher with me today. She's an award-winning author of over 35 books. In this episode, you'll get sage advice like, hangeth thou in there, how to be okay with small beginnings, but make sure you're ready when the opportunity presents itself. Adopt a disciplined process in your writing. To get published, focus on what the publishers want, what your audience wants. Be committed to improving your craft. Hire an editor. Invest in yourself. Be a lifelong learner. Continue to expand into new areas. These are just a few of the nuggets that Suzanne brings. Now let's get into it. Suzanne Woods Fisher, I'm so happy to welcome you, the best-selling author, award-winning author of over 35 books, fiction, and some non-fiction books as well. Welcome to Titans of Transition. Thank you. It's great to be here. I appreciate you just having me on. I saw a, um, a recent post up on social of uh, your latest book. So can you just take a minute and just tell us about that. Yeah, this is a fun book called The Sweet Life, and it's a contemporary fiction. So it's it's um, first of a series, and it's a story about a mom and a daughter who kind of need a fresh start, both for different reasons. And they end up on Cape Cod, and the mom, they're very opposite personalities, and the mom ends up on a walk seeing this rundown old ice cream shop up for sale and puts in a low bid offer, which gets accepted. And her daughter, who is a CPA, you can see the different personalities right there, is horrified and has to figure out how to make this work. And so that's kind of the the crux of the story is the relationship between these two very different personalities who, it and without spoiling it in any way, their differences become their greatest strength. So it's a, it's a really lovely story of healing and wholeness and, and new adventures. Is that for sale right now? Is it up? Yes, right? it released in early May. Oh, great. And it's been doing really well. And, and like I mentioned, it's the first in the series. So it's a fun one. Everybody loves ice cream. Who doesn't love ice cream? Yeah, well, I know you and your, your husband uh, love making ice cream. Interestingly enough, he was in the finance area for his yes. career, right? Yes. So, okay. So that's yeah. that's great. Hey, listen, I want to get kind of dive right in and talk to you about some things that I think probably folks who have found this podcast episode, who I would think a good collection of them would be writers or aspiring writers. So oh, it's a really tough business. And um, it's always great to ask someone who has been on the other side of the challenges of rejection and all the other challenges of getting published about your start. And um, I think when we talked before the recording uh, session uh, a week or two ago, I remember this phrase you said, I love small beginnings. And I think it ties into this question. So can you tell us about that? How did you, how did you break through? Well, and this, the publishing world is really one of the hardest you could ever hope to break through. And I don't say that with dis any sense of trying to discourage anybody as much as just give you a realistic perspective because you need such a thick skin and it is 
not a world that is looking for you. In fact, if anything, they're really looking to see why you don't have, you know, you don't have a place in this world. So it is hard. And I think as long as everybody understands that as they move forward, it kind of empowers you a little bit to kind of get ready for the long haul. This is most likely not going to be an easy road ahead. With that, I was a writer of magazines for many, many years while I was raising kids. I was a freelance writer and I kind of really honed my nonfiction writing skills in that, which I, I think are, is so important. And then later as my kids had it off to college, I decided to try a novel. And as I look back now, the reason I bring that up is because all of those nonfiction skills really gave me a lot of credibility in my fiction writing because I always want to have a book that you end up learning things. You're not doubting the history of it or the the depth of research. And then I also think flip that around and I feel like my my fiction writing then really jazzed up my nonfiction skills. So I always encourage oh. people to not box themselves up that there's lots of opportunity and writing is writing and good writing is good writing. And so I went into trying to get this novel pitched. And here I'd had probably 15 to 20 years or more developing relationships. I had a name sort of out there. I mean, not, not any big name, but just, I had, you know, credits to my name and it was so hard. Mm. It was so hard. I got so close in some larger publishing houses and then it would slip away. And I ended up with a, an offer from a small royalty press. And for me, that was a great small beginning. It was just ideal. And part of the reason is I was a, not really a big fish, but I was a fish in a little pond. And I, I had to learn so much about the business side of writing, which is, which is half the thing. Mm. It is, if you want more than one book out there, it is, it is a business and you have to understand what the publishing world is looking for and how to find your audience how to keep going. And I, because I was in this, this small royalty press that obviously didn't have the distribution system that a larger publishing house does, I had to do it myself. And I had a wonderful book. They did a great job, but I had to, you know, I'd submit it for awards myself. I had to. Okay. So that was a question that I did have as I wasn't familiar with this term, small royalty press and how it's different. So it's, you, you do more of the work. I guess that's part of it. Yeah, but it is royalty payment, so royalty it's payments. not a self-publishing situation. It, it's they, oh, yeah. They yeah. really own the copyright. They have the the cover design. They have the editing, all that. Okay. But it was just such a good small beginning. I mean, I think I just got over my fear of public speaking. I had to, and cold calling, and, you know, just putting yourself out there. I, it won some awards. Those awards ended up winning the attention of an agent because I'd been rejected by all the agents as well. <laughs> and then that just opened the door to writing for Ravel Books, which is where I really have had 35 some books published, which is quite unusual. Most people mm -hmm. are not at one house for such a long time. And I feel very blessed to have this great relationship with Ravel. But I guess, you know, to answer your question, I, I think Small Beginnings, are a wonderful starting. There's a, a verse in Zephaniah about the Lord delights in small beginnings yeah. that is true for me. Yeah. And I encourage others to not disdain them. Did you feel like you were were ready? I mean, you made this shift and we didn't 
we haven't talked about some other questions around the shift yet, but did you feel like you were ready for that whole thing of being a published author and, and all the other things that go along with it at the time? That's a wonderful question because I actually real, I do believe in the idea that there is a time for all things. And I feel so thankful that that door opened for me as my major child raising time of life came to a, a you know, an adjustment as they all went to college and mm. certainly you're letting go and the nest is empty because it can be so consuming and it, it is, um, hard to, especially when you work from home, really hard to have boundaries. And, and I think, I think the, you know, the fiction world you walk into when you're writing and you almost dive deep and it's hard to kind of come up out, you need a lot of time alone. I go to sometimes these award ceremonies or writers conferences and there's, especially like young moms who are so hungry, mm. they're so hungry. And when I remember one time when I heard this woman, she won an award, she's obviously a talented writer. That's not in the doubt. It's really just the timing and her thank you was to her husband, her mother-in-law and her mother for taking care of her children so she could write. And I just thought, she's never gonna get that back. She's gonna get the writing time back, but she's never gonna get those children. Um, well, <laughs> that's, that's so true. I, was the Did you make a deliberate choice to wait before writing, putting a novel out there until your kids had left the house or they were empty nested or was it circumstance? Did it just happen that way? I think for me, we had, which is kind of a good point because maybe I would feel differently if I'd had the door open at 22 or 25. Mm -hmm. So I don't mean to sound like I, I'm giving people advice as much as I'm thankful for how it worked for me, but we've been living in Hong Kong. And we were there for four years and came and the internet was young. It was in the late nineties and I'd been writing even magazines. I was able to continue writing. But when we came back, that was when I had a little bit more space in my life. And that was when I, kids were heading to college. And actually my dad was even starting to show signs of Alzheimer's and it was beginning to be sort of that personal time of life where I just kind of pulled back a bit and I hadn't, I didn't get quite as involved as in things as I did a few years later. It's just like a little bit of a breathing space. And that's what opened my, the idea of writing a novel. So. Yeah, wow, that's what a story. Um, obviously, writing, I'm going to say, is is your gift. And, and did did you recognize that this was something you wanted to do from a very early age? Was it something? Yes, I'm I, going to be I a writer. Or... I really loved it. I loved reading. I loved writing always a strength. I would not say it's a talent. For me. Oh, that's I interesting. I would say it's a gift. I think it's something I, and I have to be honest, I don't remember any any comment from a parent or was, teaching that I was. was no moment me. where you said, ah, that's for me. There was for me, but it wasn't affirmed. It wasn't oh, like God. Oh, I it. see. It, was, it really came from inside. And so it, for me, it's a craft. And I really work hard at, at even the craftsmanship of writing. And I want every book better than the one before. And so far that I think my editors have said, they made me to come the other day that they haven't seen that in a lot of writers, that, that each book is getting tighter and cleaner. Oh, okay, and, so let's talk a little bit about that. So 
you feel like you've grown, obviously, as a writer over time. Um, in, in what aspects, you mentioned one that's tighter. I'm not sure what that means exactly. <laughs> so, what do you mean by that? And Well, for example, let's take the ending of a chapter. Okay. And it is, it is a real skill to end a chapter in a fiction book where the writer is on the, her or his toes eager to go forward can't put it down because and leave them wanting happen. for the next chapter yeah and and now that i've said that to you you'll notice that moment where some writers leave you on your heels mm-hmm. where it's a good point to stop put the book away you don't want that you want them on their toes leaning you know yeah. and things like that those little um and I don't mean to make that little because those are that's a skill that takes that takes time and effort and where to cut that chapter in, where to put it, and to start the new one. And and timing is another thing. It's it is astounding how complicated it can be to be paying attention to your timing in a novel and little details mm-hmm. that you can mix up so easily. And that's another one. I think the story arc, how or how quickly you dive into that that first chapter does that just leave you you know really wanting to know how is this going to end and, and the other thing so. i've heard of before is character development in do you keep the same characters over sort of a series or you know like you just said you were publishing it this she just published was part of it yeah the first yeah. series well so when you have a series like three yeah. book series yeah. is generally how the novels go there is a, a large story arc that goes from beginning to end. And and that has to kind of stay in view. But I think each book includes Stands its own on. story. So a lot of times characters, we've got them. We've got them happily in love mm-hmm. or, you know, off scene or something like that. So I think secondary characters come in that might have a question that you're trying to answer in the book. That's sort of how it goes. Though there's still... What the fun of it is, it's, it's a familiar stage. It's like characters come on and off. And if you enjoyed them in book one, you'll see them again in book three yeah. or something like that. But I do think each book needs to stand on its own two legs. Like, I don't like the feeling. I've read books where I feel like book two is half of book one mm. against today you have to speed and, and prepping you for book three. You know, and So, so I, the other I part like of the planning and the skill you probably have developed over time is when you do these series, you do have to have a framework at least of where it's going to end to make sure things tie out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, listen, one of the things that's kind of curious is it's a question I have is how did you choose sort of the Amish people as sort of a focal point for many of these novels? Well, interestingly enough, my grandfather was raised oh. Amish. He was one of 11 children back near on a farm called um, Sleepy Hollow near Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. And he was actually German Baptist, which is you would you would see them on the street and think they look Amish and they they have the same theology of Anabaptists mm-hmm. where they are baptized as adults, but they actually have differing philosophies in and lifestyle for example the german baptists would not have a radio or television or computer in their home but they would drive in a car and they would fly on an airplane Um, older amish are horse and buggy they live isolated off the grid they're more recognizable in this day and age but 
um, but they have a lot in common, quite a lot, the heritage, which came, you know, four or 500 years ago with Menno Simons in, and that is why the Mennonites were sort of first on the Anabaptist tree. And then from that, if you think of it, I mean, they're Protestants, so I, I don't mean to make it sound like it's different from other denominations, but if we just look at the Anabaptists, you have the Mennonites, you have then the Hutterites, you have the um, River Brethren and the Apostolic Brethren and on and on. And then late, the last one are the Amish. They came in, yes. in uh, I think, 1696 with um, Jacob Amon, who believed in, he introduced the concept of shunning. Mm -hmm where someone has, they are under discipline and they're actually like left out of the fold if, until they repent. Only the omission, just a side note. But back to just my grandfather, I've always had an interest in my cousins. I, I'm, as you can imagine, a lot of cousins. In fact, there's a large German Baptist colony in Modesto. And so we've gone visiting and back and forth and I think I had a sincere interest. My agent knew of my connection. And when she knew that Ravel was looking for an author who had an interest in the Amish, they connected oh. me. And it, it actually started with a nonfiction book called Amish Peace, Simple Wisdom for a Complicated World. That was a great foundation book for me to then write Amish fiction. But that that is my... That's my really thing. interesting. And one thing I want to say... I, I really try to write, you know, the Amish fiction is a huge genre, very, very popular. I think when I started writing, there were maybe eight to 10 authors and last count, which was years ago, there were 86. Oh, I was not aware so of it, that. So it is That's a wild <laughs> field and a very, and it's not one that's going to drop in like a flash. It is a consistently held strong. It's always on the bestseller list. You'll see four or five Amish authors. And the thing I feel strongly about is I try to write about the older Amish where you look past the bunnies and bonnets and beards to see why are they the way they yeah. are? Who, what really differs or what do they, have, we have to learn from them without going Amish. So anyway, that's a long, very long answer to one question. <laughs> it's, it's extremely interesting. And it, it kind of underscores as you're going through that and unpacking your knowledge <laughs> around that tie to your family. Um, you, you made a comment earlier about, you know, the research that you have to do to, to, as a writer. And I think there's a lot of people, a lot of things people who are re just readers, consumers don't fully appreciate. Maybe some of your friends might not even appreciate about how hard it is, how much work it takes. You know, when you talk about research, I think of the, the crazy research that like James Mishner used to do on his, his novels. Um, it's there's a there's a lot of work and that you have to do to be i don't know if credible is the right word but to bring a credible story and it to life isn't there i really think that is what makes an, an author stand out when they go to a place when they are studying i think some of the especially some of the historical fiction i've written there are little museums in these tiny little towns where you're going to find books that you're not going to find on Amazon, you're just local history pamphlets, things like that, where you just are on site and you're getting a sense of what the air mm -hmm. feels like and what the trees are like. And then you can start painting that picture with words in mm -hmm. 3D, so to speak. Yeah. Um, I think another question that, that 
folks listening to this may have is um, what's your process? I've, I've heard stories about writers who, who have uh, a particular process they follow, rain or shine or you know, other, other people who, who might not be that tight in their pro- I'm just kind of curious about your process writing. Well, I, there's, there's kind of two schools of thought about writing. There's sort of the, they call it the seat of the pantser where you're putting it together. You know, you're throwing it, like getting the wall to stick. And, and then there's the people that outline. And I have one friend who's a a phenomenal author and she spends three weeks outlining every scene, every point of view change, every detail in almost a spreadsheet, three weeks. And then she spends three weeks writing and only three and it is just boom. I, yeah, but well, yeah. six weeks all together, but a, a very focused, intentional, probably no surprises as she's writing. She's just filling that out, you know, but for me, I follow a process where I actually am very disciplined in my daily writing. And we had talked about something called the 20 mile March, which is something I really encourage writers to think about because it, it gives you a, it corrects a lot of thinking. So it goes back to this early in the turn of the century, the race to the South Pole. And we had an Englishman named Scott and we had a, a Norwegian named Amundsen. And, and they both had different strategies to get to the same place. They started at the same place. They wanted to get there first, but it became, they were going in different from a different starting point. And so the Englishmen, his belief was they would go as far as they could when the conditions were right. And when conditions were bad, they would stop, they would rest, they would mend their tents, they would kind of prepare and then wait again for conditions. And then the Norwegian had this concept of 50 to 20 miles a day, rain or shine, no matter what, Mm -hmm. snow or hail, and he even got to within... I think just a few miles of the South Pole and he made his troop stop. He made his team stop, even though they were so close um, and waited till the next day. So like even with that kind of pressure, he did not push them. His theory was you do not exhaust people. You, you know, keep moving. Well, I think writers would probably pick the Englishman style because you wait for what they call the muse. You wait for inspiration to hit wait for conditions to hit you sort of and frankly that doesn't work terribly well and the end of that story is that the Norwegian made it there and back with every single member of the team whole and healthy and well the Englishman did make it back a little after got then on the return trip within 11 miles of a cache of food and they all perished it's a dramatic story and I don't want to simplify it because it's, it's not exactly the same thing, but it is true that there's the discipline of every day getting to your desk. It may not always be brilliant, but it is putting you in the frame of mind that you are in your story. I mentioned timing earlier. I think a lot of that gets lost when you step away for a few days. You've forgotten you've already gone through that scene. or And, and there's just something about that steady forward marching Sometimes it's not great writing, but it is moving the plot forward. So I really encourage people to kind of have a discipline in that. That doesn't mean I do write a little bit of like throwing spaghetti on the wall. I'm not as organized as my friend, but 
the fun of that is that surprises happen along the way, which I kind of enjoy. Even yeah, but the, the foundation is this kind of disciplined showing up. Take it seriously. seriously. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That, that's, there's some real wisdom there. And I see it applying in other areas and other uh, careers as well. Um, kind of reminds me a little bit like Aesop's fable, except I don't want to say slow <laughs> and steady, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Kind of <laughs> a reminder of that. Yeah. Um, let me see. We talked about how you've grown as, as, as a novelist over the years. How, how do you. Well, I've expanded. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, I've expanded yeah. into different genres which is really fun. Like doing historical fiction is one of my favorite and love that. And, um, and I actually just had, in fact, I should have mentioned this at the beginning. I just had two novels option wow. for film, one of which is a sweet life. And then I know I'm really excited. And then the other one is the, um, moonlight school, which is a story about a true story based on a, a woman named Cora Wilson Stewart, who was a, uh, superintendent of education in, in Eastern Kentucky in Appalachia. And she had this idea of opening the schoolhouses. She had about 51 or 52 little rural schoolhouses way up in the hills and the hollows. And a, she knew she had a very high adult illiteracy rate in her county. Um, and that, the thinking of the day was that adults couldn't le learn to read and write. It was sort of a, a window. It opened as a child and when it closed, it was closed. But she pushed that open the schoolhouses on moonlit nights for obvious reasons, because that was the only way they could mm. find their way to the schoolhouse. And she hoped maybe a hundred to 150 people would come in these 51 schoolhouses and 1200 people came out that first night and filled the schoolhouses. And in two years she wiped out adult illiteracy and wow. in her County. And then the moonlight school concept spread throughout the South. And then that is sort of what we know. Is Do you recall school. the kids? Oh, okay. Rowan County, R-O-W-A-N. It's just kind of cute. Southeastern yeah, Kentucky. I know that. A small, small Southern mm -hmm. Baptist College, Cumberland College, Williamsburg. Yeah. Oh, I've heard of that. Wow. Um, so let me ask you uh, this question. What advice would you give to someone who's starting out to write based on your experiences? Well... I think the best advice is hang it thou in there. Hang it thou in there. Don't, don't give up on that. Just yeah. keep going. And and uh, if you have a dream, I think there's many wonderful books still to be written and your voice is needed. But just keep working on your craft. Keep pursuing. Keep learning. Keep understanding the business of writing. Go to these writers' conferences. Learn what the, what the industry is looking for. That's half of the battle is finding where is the need and then seeing if you can adjust to that and developing relationships, learning how to just handle the whole social media monster, which is going to be part of your life, you know, and, and the balance of that. And, um, but mainly hang it down in there. Like, don't, don't let, you could stop easily. Don't read your uh, views. Don't, you know, like just, this is between you uh, and the Lord. And yeah. The and, wow. It, it strikes me that, People have goals of trying to, you know, get through this, to break through, have this next step of becoming published. 
And obviously other energies are trying to work on, on their creative work and make sure it's, it's picked up. But maybe they might not be ready if it is. And maybe they might not even know what it means. And we talked a little bit about this already to be a published author, you know, all the marketing time and all the social media, like you just said. Um, any advice around that? Or is there any way that they can prepare? Do you think it's premature to prepare for that? <laughs> I don't know. It seems to me you could almost blow it after you published your first book and then just sort of dissolve because maybe you weren't a good partner with your publisher after that. Well, I think if, if you let too much kind of stop you with that idea of readiness, you're never going to get going. You get and paralyzed. Yeah. And, and, and that I think is a problem from so many writers. I, my, I have a college friend who actually is the one who got me writing together with her on our college newspaper. And then she helped me get started with freelancing later. And she can write circles around me. She is so incredibly talented. But to get to a finish line, she just can't seem to get it finished. She has ideas, but it doesn't. So I think that's so common in writers that they have to keep polishing and polishing and polishing. And... Perfectionism? Well, it's perfectionism. And, you know, there's, there's a point of, yeah, it, it's got to be your best work. And it could probably always be better, but... If you know too much, you're not going to, you got to get there. You, I mean, I think allow yourself a margin. You got to start somewhere. Well, First. and allow yourself a margin of mistakes, I think, is going to hopefully improve as you grow in this and learn more. I'm still learning so much. I just came back from my publishing house back in Michigan where they had an author's event and they brought a marketing person in to just give us ideas. And I'm still kind of reeling with, oh, I got to do I, I could do so much more. So I think, I think have the humility to be a lifelong learner. Oh, I love that. That is such a good statement to be a lifelong learner, but have the humility to do it. Um, and then tying back to hangeth thou in there. Um, another question uh, someone actually gave to me to give to you is what advice do you have to someone who has been writing for years but hasn't broken through. Maybe they haven't, you know, they're trying to get an agent to having got an agent or they're trying to get published and they never have quite gotten there. It, it's a, like you said, it's a tough business. And um, yeah, I don't know what, if, I mean, other pieces of advice you could offer a person like that. Is this for fiction writing in particular, for example? Yeah, this one's so fiction. There's, there's a couple of other options, which... There's one couple of organizations where you can almost sign up and they're working with you on your novel. So they're actually coaching, helping you to get this published, get this into better shape. You know, so that's like one idea is to almost think, okay, I, I'm, I'm stuck here. I'm not making any headway. So let me look at what I can, who, who can help me mm -hmm. get this into a better condition. Um, paying for an editor is always a good idea as well because there could be some things that are really you're too close to it missing i think also if you pursue the idea of self-publishing which is not a bad option a lot of people mm -hmm. do it but get a good editor may pay for it pay for a good cover don't cheat yourself there and mm. make sure what you put out there is really clean and the best of your ability 
Now, I suppose a, a good editor that you would contract with would be someone who under who is that same class of editor that the publishing houses would use. Yeah. It wouldn't be like my friend who seems to be a good editor. <laughs> pay for it, though. I mean, you have to. Yeah, pay for it. You have it. to be willing yeah. to kind of invest in yourself in that. And yeah. So, yeah. And I do know a lot of people who have started with self publishing and they have done it well. And that has gotten them in the door for now, you know, moving into traditional publishing house. That doesn't have to be the goal. Like, there's a lot of traditional publishing house people who now are self-publishing because they just feel like they know it well enough. They can do it. The distribution is theirs. They can do it, you know, the, the eBooks. Um, I've noticed also award ceremonies are now permitting self-publishing in the awards. So that's, it's not a bad option, nice. but just yeah. do it well. Don't, don't think you don't need us more eyes on that work. Everybody needs an editor. Yeah. Editors need editors. So. Yeah, now that, that's, that's great advice. Um, so at this point, the only other thing I wanted to sort of bring out is that um, I often ask, you know, I've, I've already asked though, in essence, what would you, what would your advice be for your 25 year old self? We, we kind of did that already, a starting out kind of question, but my, my question for you, do, do you think there was, and I'm going to go back to this again. Um, was there any particular aha moment that sticks in your mind across your career where, where things really made a shift? Well, I think there's something I would call readiness meets opportunity. So you are, I, you know, when you look back, I was working, working, working as a writer. Yeah. And, and, and then, and I didn't give up and I kept kind of pushing and it wasn't overnight and it wasn't a straight line, but when the door opened, it really opened and I couldn't have, I couldn't have engineered that. There's a little bit of just the God's goodness in when the time <laughs> is right, the time is right. Mm -hmm. So I... But I really believe in readiness meets opportunity. Like you, that's within my control. The readiness. Couple those two things together. Yeah. Yeah. And be hopeful. That's powerful. And trustworthy. Yeah. That when the time's right and ready to go. That's great. But like I said, hey, it's, listen, not a straight line. it's not a straight line. <laughs> no, even now it's still ups and downs. No. So I, as we kind of wrap up, where can, obviously people can find your work your books anywhere, Amazon, wherever they typically buy their books. Um, is there, do you have a website that, that I can put in the show notes and what would that address I be? I really enjoy connecting with readers. I feel that's one of the um, main best parts of this whole experience is connecting with people. I mean, I, I type in a laundry room. This is my laundry room. It's, it's an isolated, <laughs> like fit away. And I feel so thankful when I do hear from people, when I get feedback, when there's just people who want you to know they enjoyed a book or a character or what's happening next or something. And so I, I try to to really, um, how would I call it, water my my subscribers well in my newsletter yeah. with a lot of like first peaks at covers or contests or things like that. So if you go to my website, www.suzannewoodsfisher.com, there's a contact page and that's the best way to get through to me and I try to answer back within 24 hours, but 
there's a lot of info on the website as well if you're looking for books or things like that. That's great. Well, thank you so much, Suzanne, for coming on Titans of Transition. This has been very interesting. Uh, writing is not my gift. <laughs> I, I can write, but I wouldn't lead with that. That's for sure. People know me uh, would definitely agree with that. Uh, but anyway, it's been a, a real pleasure to have you on. I appreciate your time. And uh, I just encourage everyone who's listening to this to go check out uh, Suzanne's work. She has quite a following. Thank you. So thanks thank again. You, Take care. All right. Hey, thanks for joining me today on Titans of Transition. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Please check the show notes for additional information.